Welcome everyone to SaaScast, the podcast that talks you through the steps you need to future-proof your product, whether that's building the ultimate marketing team or taking your products global. Our guests will help you grow, scale up and work smarter. So thanks so much for joining us on SaaScast today, Vincent. Thanks for having me. Yeah, um, I just think before we before we kick off this discussion, I'm sure our audience, our listeners, our viewers would love to just hear a little bit more about yourself and your kind of journey to your current position. And I suppose like what it is about the kind of SaaS landscape that you feel, you know, allows you to thrive, fills you with passion or drive. Sure, yeah. Um, so yeah, I am currently VP of product at Dealfront, uh, which is a go-to-market platform specifically with a strong first focus in Europe. Um, so I've been in this role for about one and a half years now, uh, but in total over 10 years in the go-to-market sales and marketing tech space, I would say. So most notably before this, I was also a product leader at ZoomInfo. And for eight years, I was running a company called FunnelFox, which was also a sales technology company. So been living and breathing SaaS and how to sell it for uh, yeah, for over 10 years, I said. Wow. And um, yeah, also recently I actually started uh, blogging about that a little bit. So especially with the focus on PLG, but in combination with sales and, and with the other ways that you can grow a business. So, yeah. Cool. So I want to know then, because because you, with, with the, the experience that you have, I'd love to know what what are the big changes that you've seen um, significantly? What are the most significant changes that you've seen over the past decade that you've been here? Over the past decade? Okay, let's reflect on that because there has been some significant change already just in the last few months, right? I know, so, I know. So yeah. let's, let's We're pre-pandemic, so there have been some pretty radical <laughs> changes in the past. That's right. Well, <laughs> well, when I started FunnelFox, and, and this is really like uh, – a long time ago, it feels it makes me feel old, but uh, that's the time when there wasn't the email automation yet. People would just send emails, so you would send someone an email, and I would have a spreadsheet where I would mark when I had sent them an email. And if they wouldn't answer, I would follow up manually, like five days later, three days later, whatever it was. So, so that's how you used to do it, right? And uh, then. Funnelfox, the first product we developed was actually what what Google does nowadays or Gmail. It says like, hey, you sent this email three days ago. Do you want to follow up, right? <laughs> because yeah. you didn't get an answer. Ultimation. And, and that's that's before the outreaches and sales logs of the world really became a thing, right? They, they were kind of coming up around that time, but it wasn't mainstream as it is today. Yeah. So fast forward to where we are. Like I, I remember six, seven years later, I was trying to set up a few um, uh, outreach kind of approaches again, and and. You know, that thing that I used to do where the, the follow-up was very easy because a lot of sales reps just weren't following up, right? So just doing it by itself meant you would be more successful and uh, you, you wouldn't even have to say much. It was like, hey, did you miss my email below? would love to get your thoughts on doing ABC and that's it, right? Uh, that didn't work anymore. <laughs> that, that was the center template that everybody was pressing uh, the uh, enter on when when they would set up their 14 touch point campaigns in whatever tool they were using, right? So so, so that's changed. There is a lot more noise in the market, right? So yeah, yeah. there's more, way more players in the market, exponentially more. Uh, there's more outreach happening. It's less relevant generally. So it's truly noise for the customer. 
Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just become hard to stand out, uh, especially as a new company, but even as an existing one, like everybody is trying to reach those same decision makers, right? So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting development what's happening now. There, there are also things to be excited about, but they're, but they're generally, um, and especially then if we fast forward to now what's been happening recently in the last year, where we've seen the cost of, of acquisition going up further for companies, uh, I mean, that's, um, yeah, that that's forcing us into different directions, right? Like we don't know in the coming year how well are certain forms of paid still going to work. Is SEO still a thing with Gen AI in the way that it, that it's coming? Uh, you know, like there there's a the big shift happening again at the moment. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, we we're hearing all about that with Google Analytics at the moment. Yeah, it's a big thing for us. Right. Um, yeah, you just think yourself, don't you? I mean, I, I always try and put myself in the in the shoes of the customer in this in this regard. And I think like, how many emails do I look at a day? How many emails do I not open in a day? Because I just look at the at the first line and I just know the kind of the kind of email that it is. I know it's someone trying to sell me something. You know, that's right. And I just think it part of the battle for a lot of SaaS companies now, a lot of companies, just whatever you're in tech or whatever is just the sheer amount of noise and how kind of savvy customers are, I think, to the same old lines, isn't it? You know, it's a big problem. Savvy or tired, I would even say. They're just tired of it, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 they've yeah. seen it so many times. They're like, well, this is just somebody's trying to sell me something again. And I've even accidentally archived real messages of people because they didn't relevant yeah, enough. I was like, yeah. no, no time. You know, <laughs> I've had that, that was actually something I was waiting for. You know, <laughs> but, yeah. But uh, it not too often, luckily. I've but, had that uh, happen to me. I've had people say, "I thought it was spam." I'm sorry. I just that's yeah. right. That's right. It's like, oh, it just seems like, <laughs> oh yeah, I can see why I did that. But but thank you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's all about being relevant. But this this has hold true over the years. To be honest, this was true ten years ago, five years ago when. When we were setting up a sales team for Funnelbox as well, we, we were having uh, a, a number of sales reps and there was one that stood out by far uh, in terms of performance. And the difference was uh, personalization, spending actually 20 to 30 minutes on research before reaching out instead of just blasting out that template, right? And even if you don't find something, holding off and waiting till you find something instead of just reaching the number, but low quality, right? Those kind of things, they're little things, but but on the other side where someone's receiving that email, it's like, hey, I saw you on this podcast or, oh, I saw that this just happened at your company or things like that. That's that's what makes me think that, okay, at least they did their homework, right? It's like, okay, let's see where this is going. Whereas- You start with you know, a line that like shows that they know your pain points and they know- That's right. Yeah or, they, yeah, or they looked into it. I'm not just like, you know, the, yeah. I'm not one of a thousand people that received the same email where they personalized company name and first names, uh, but but it, it goes a bit further than that, yeah. So how does, because um, today we're, we're talking about PLG today, specifically product-led growth. Mm-hmm. So how does product-led growth fit in with this? Well, I want to know actually, like not just the, the noisy kind of market that you're talking about now, and how mm. SaaS has changed. Maybe we could go back to like the kind of origin of this term, how it came about and how it came from, you know, the kind of current landscape of tech. Like what what is it and in its ba- most basic form and how does it fit into what we've kind of been talking about so far with the market? So 
PLG basically wasn't possible before SaaS was a thing, right? Because you can't start using something you don't have. And before you needed to go, I remember buying my CD-ROMs for Office or Windows. And that's how you got the software, right? And that you, you so you needed to pay someone to get that. And um, and then you needed your hardware to host it on. Uh, as a company, if you wanted to host something, you needed hardware for that, that you maybe needed even to buy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's not the case anymore with SaaS, right? So now there's something running and I just go to this website and it's there. And so we can start doing PLG. We can start letting people in if we want to. We can decide to give something away in experience. And, and that's, I mean, that that's what opened the door to, to PLG becoming a thing. Um, what, what's been driving it a lot, I think, is more the development on, on the, the buyer side, right? So with the internet, information is available to everybody. Mm-hmm. So the sales rep is no longer the trusted source of information when I'm trying to learn about this new topic. It's like, no, I'll go check online. I'll do my own research. And then when I'm figured, when I've figured out what type of solution I need, I'm going to check on, on some uh, software comparison websites like a G2 and read some reviews. I might even ask in a community, like what, what I should be using, what are other people using? And, and only then will I start talking with anybody or actually will I go look into that company better said, yeah now plg is kind of the natural next step to that right because we without plg you go to this website and now you have to um fill out a form and talk with someone right mm-hmm. but there's also companies that say well if you're you if you still want to consider further if we are the right fit for you why don't you go in and give this a try and continue your evaluation process still without having to talk with anybody right so it, it's part of that same trend and that same need from the from the buyer basically the younger generations are much more like that they don't they don't want to talk with sales right and there are plenty of buyers that do want to talk with sales and we can talk about when that's a better fit or not but but there is a there is definitely a segment that doesn't want to and that wants to try before they buy and that and if you offer that as a company and another company does not then you know guess where they'll go right so so that's kind of how plg started and gained momentum in the beginning i think especially for those like in the beginning especially for prosumer kind of apps or applications that were for b2b but that could also be used for someone in their personal professional life right like a scheduling tool for example or a, mm-hmm. a survey tool like uh, the calendly's and uh, the type forms of the world because they could reach such a wide audience, right? And especially if you're top of the funnel there for, for, for awareness or for like uh, that level of, of um, reaching a new audience, then, then that's great. And that model fits well, but, but it's evolved a lot since then, right? So you can do more with it than just reach a new audience. You can engage and convert the audience you already have. Um, even if you're not having people invite their network, um, and you can also, if you already have customers, you use it to retain them and to grow their contracts uh, to, to expand. So PLG in its original term, so product-led growth, it's it's expanded quite a bit in scope, I would say. So in my view, it's just how do you use product to grow in combination with whatever else it is. That so like how do, you, how do you let your product kind of speak for itself? In a way that you you manage to convert and get customers for the on the strength of the of the product 
of what of the value of it that they can see. Right. Well, that was the original premise of of PLG, but 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 it can also be much later in the process. So it could be that I uh, do outbound calling, get people to the website, uh, like have a conversation and get them to the website, and only then they'll try the product. Or it could even be that I have a full sales-driven um, growth motion for new business, and that once they're in, then through the product, I guide them to other offerings that I have, and I expand through that. All of these oh, are product-led oh. ways. The product is leading the user somewhere. I see. I see. It's not always that it's the first thing, right? Because that's, that's in my view, a misconception or a limitation to view PLG only as it has to be the first thing that people I see. With. So it, it provides a lot of opportunity, I suppose, for upselling and cross-selling. Doesn't it? Because, Definitely. Yeah. Because you, I mean, a lot of SaaS companies do it, don't they? In fact, maybe most do. They, they offer the basic package, which maybe most people use, and maybe your average person can do most of what they need to do with it. But then you get, you know, your kind of enterprise um, package for like businesses that kind of want, you know, are going to need more unique, uh, more sophisticated features, right? Yes. So the whole point of most PLG motions uh, for new business is like high velocity sales, right? So you sell the use case someone's looking for as fast as possible without confusing them with other offers, without having traditional sales conversations on like, what is your total need? Let's talk about all the other things we could do for this. Like, no, you want this? We have it. Here you go. And, and this is what it costs. Here's where you can pay. Thank you very much. And by the way, after that, we see that you're also trying to do this thing. We have a product for that too. Or we see that you have other people on your team. Do you want to invite them? And and so on, right? So that, yeah, that can work very well. Yeah, cool. So we, we, we've touched a little bit then on misconceptions, which I brought up there. So I think a lot of what we want to talk about today is that really, like what, what does product-led growth mean versus what can it actually, well, what does it mean to people versus what can it actually be? Uh, what is his true potential? And you started touching upon this alignment with other other departments, other functions. Let's get a little bit more into that then, because obviously, you know, we're not going to, although we said a lot of customers, you know, they kind of, they don't want to go through the sales process. It's, it's friction for them. Um, and we obviously want to move, we want to remove as much friction from the funnel as possible, right? Um, I want to go into like, what, what does that mean then? What does it mean in terms of it kind of a holistic approach alignment and mm -hmm. yeah. So, so I said, there's mainly three ways that, that you can apply or, or three types of audiences in my view that you can address with PLG. One is the one that everybody talks about, which is like reaching a broader market, reaching more people than you're reaching today. So I'm using Calendly. I send my my invite link, sorry, my scheduling link to someone else. They open it. They've never heard of Calendly, but there it is because I'm using the free product and it has the branding there, right? That or or I'm I'm using Slack. I send an invite or Zoom or whatever. Those are like the, the the prime examples of PLG. Very successful companies. They executed right on that, and and definitely you know that is PLG and that is kind of how it got known, uh, how it got well known. The second way of doing it is when you're looking at more at go-to-market efficiency and the word efficient growth is coming up a lot lately. Um, so the, you can use PLG to um, improve the onboarding, the qualification and the conversion of customers as they're going through your funnel from like decision-making phase 
to the actual commitment, the purchase, and the further onboarding if there still is after that moment. Mm -hmm. So those phases have become a lot more expensive for companies um, as well. And um, it can help, for example, if, if you're doing the qualification for the product and you make sure that your sales team only talks with those product qualified leads that actually have either done certain actions or there's other terms, ways they've gotten value out of the product that show you that, hey, if our sales team focuses there, we get a much higher conversion rate, much higher chance of success. Then it might become financially viable to serve certain segments that you couldn't before, or even what we're seeing a lot right now is that the cost of everything has just gone up. So it'll just allow you to stay in business in, in the market you were in before, because it, you know, if the price, if the cost of things doubles, some some companies what used to be profitable, it's not anymore for them right now. And this is a way to bring that cost down and to focus your team on where um, where where the value is in the end. And yeah. so the third the third one then um, to complete the list is for retention and expansion. Um, Retention is quite common. You know, we have a lot of CS platforms that also um, facilitate that, like Tutango and uh, and others, of course. And that that's working with health scores, looking at the behavior. When is there a real deviation from uh, from previous behavior, which might be different per company, right? Um, those kind of like various trigger alerts when you know that something has changed and you can prevent churn instead of trying to recover afterwards. Um, and then on expansion, yeah, anything from seed or usage increases to add-ons or further products that you can somehow, for example, through in-app messaging, present to the user. And again, this can create qualified leads for even for an account management team to say, well, yes, we have a thousand customers, but these are the 30 that are actually most likely to buy next instead of waiting for the next quarterly review with the customer and just asking everybody without knowing if it's relevant. Yeah, I, I think it's, um, you've really highlighted, I think, how how these kind of tools where we can kind of log customer actions can really come into play here. I think the big thing is, it's probably a lot harder, isn't it, to recover customers who've churned. Well, I imagine it's, it's a no-brainer than it is to prevent people from churning before it happens. So if you can flag the warning signs, you can see the pattern that looks like, oh, well, maybe this, Maybe this user has been inactive for quite a long time. That probably means that they're not going to go to the next stage, or they're not going to they're not end up going to end up become paying customers, or they were, and they're not going to be. You know, they're going to churn, they're going to cancel their subscription, or whatever it is. I imagine a lot of it is helpful in sort of preempting that, right? And then you can address that before it happens. That's right. So it it can be uh, specific users. Typically, you're you're looking at teams, right? So you might. You might know who the champion is and you want to know when that person specifically goes inactive or you, they have a team of 30 and you're seeing oops, suddenly 10 of them stopped using it i mean that means at least something's changing right so it's about detecting change uh, and and knowing that when something changes it's good to get in touch and understand what's happening in in some cases it's just they reduce their team okay and everything's fine and uh, continue as is in other cases, um, change of management or uh, change of approach. And that might require you to reposition your solution and to make sure that whoever needs to know about it is aware and knows how to get value out of it. And so, yeah, look, actively looking at product behavior um, 
is is key there to make sure that you're not running after it because indeed recovering people afterwards i mean I don't know if you've ever tried to get feedback from people that decided to cancel, but but yeah. already that is just really hard. Imagine getting them to like change their mind at that point. Oh, exactly. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, I can imagine that's an absolute nightmare for people. Yeah, it's really. Uh... So I, I I wonder then uh, if we could dig then into your kind of practical, your own experience with this then. Um, how have you kind of utilized this, do you think, in your day-to-day um what 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 have you where have you seen the benefits of like this kind of product-led approach yeah so product-led growth was what we were doing at funnel fox so that's where we did a lot of it but at a smaller scale than what we're doing now at dealfront mm-hmm. so we we were always you know we had the, the trial sign up and we're trying to do the, the product qualified leads and so on so i was exposed to a lot of the concepts I've worked with a lot of teams over time as well that that um, applied it because in those 10 years in go-to-market software, like all the teams we work with are trying to do these things somehow, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but but really the last two years have been um, with, with Dealfront have been the most insightful for this because Leadfeeder um, was completely built on product-led growth uh, in combination with the sales team. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Echobot um, was built on traditional sales, right? And at Dealfront, uh, we put the, <laughs> Dealfront is the result of putting these two companies together, right? Okay. Um, so, so this has been incredibly insightful um, in combining those those worlds and learning how we can get the best from both in um, in either scenario. So, if you look at where we're applying that, it's pretty much in in every possible way, right? It's just what works best at, at this moment. That's what we use. So if it's better, if it's in the interest of the customer that we talk with them, we'll talk with them. And uh, and if that gets better conversion, and and if it's if people want to be left alone and try it by themselves, then we'll allow that option too. And and typically that's what that's what we try to do. So so it's the idea is you can at least do it by yourself if you want to. But in in certain cases, there is also a, a human touch element available. Um, again, based on like qualification within the product, um, based on um, requests from customers as well, of course. So hand raisers, as you call them. Um, yeah. yeah. Would you like me to go into examples or? Yeah. Uh, yeah. For sure. Yeah. 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 So if you if you look at how the 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 web visitor identification part of the business, which is like the the what lead feeder is part of, um, the way that works is that people can go to the website, they can sign up, um, and they can start using the product. But what it does is it, it identifies the companies that have visited your website, right? So you can say, oh, Coca Cola was on my website, and you can see which people, um, if if they've, they've been. Um, which people you potentially could reach out to. And we're going to have to restart. How do you go about then sort of like profiling customers in terms of like what you think they're going to, you know, uh, how, whether you think the certain approach is going to be good for them or not good for them. Do you have a, a system in place where you can sort of get an idea of their behaviors and how, how you should be interacting with them? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, some of the stuff is basic. Sim- mm-hmm. simplest country 
uh, because we know where we're strong, right? We know where our, um, we know which continents, so to say, that we're best in. And even within those, we know in which countries um, we um, we are the strongest player. Mm-hmm. And and there again, like it's all about what is your chance of conversion when when you do reach out, right? So that 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 will tell you how viable it is. Um, but then we look a lot at behavior. So the behavior in the product is, I would say, one of the biggest deciders for us in terms of uh, if someone is qualified or not. Um, mm-hmm. I would say it's a topic where you're never done as a company. You're always learning more about what the customer is trying to do now. Um, you know, we can definitely do more about the specific use cases because there's a few ways that you could use this data, right? So, um, you know, are you using it for marketing analytics or are you using it to feed your sales team? And, and, and what does that mean in that case? And how can we target that better? So, so again, things that we're looking into and that would probably then inform more like the product journey than, than the outreach approach actually, as I'm thinking through it. But, but those are the things to look at. Um, nothing like mind blowing, I would say, but uh, just having, I think having the product behavior as a core metric, as part of your go-to-market, this is already differentiating, mm-hmm. right? Like if you look at most of the go-to-market models, you'll have MQLs, you'll have SQLs, and, and that's, it product is not part the product behavior is not part of that equation in any way mm-hmm. um and that's very different for us so it, it's like it's a core metric and it's it's in the revenue reports it's not just that we in product also like to talk about it. it's like no we all know that this is an important driver and and that then also helps us to align our processes around it and, and get the results yeah that's i think that's the gift isn't it the plg gives you really is, is that sort of I suppose like we, we talk about it, it's kind of like, it seems like it's you're giving power to the customer, but you're also empowering yourself to kind of like see how are people actually interacting with this, you know, when they get their hands on it, what are they doing? What, you know, th- that kind of thing, I think it potentially provides you with the kind of data where if you weren't, if you were maybe going with more of a sales led approach, you wouldn't see maybe. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I've in other companies before this as well, um, some of them were completely sales led or even like enterprise sales um, led, um, which is, I would say, another level up uh, or another level away from from PLG. Um, in in its own right, it can be a good approach. Don't get me wrong, but but it's very different. And and it's not that people don't know that product behavior is important in those companies or that good onboarding will make everybody's life better and make customers happier and so on. Like everybody knows, everybody's aware of it, but it just doesn't get prioritized because there is always like the next deal that, um, you know, would pay before anything is, <laughs> is live. So there's just, it's much easier to justify. And in some cases it is even justifiable. I would say like, I'm, I'm not saying it's wrong, but, but it's much easier to justify or, or to have a lower bar on the quality of, of the product um, in those cases because the, the revenue is still being made. Whereas in PLG, the product is bringing the revenue, at least partly. So if that's not delivering or if it's like not you know good but not great or even mediocre but not good, then that will hurt your actual revenue. So you know that you have to work on it in that case. 
Yeah, yeah, it's it, it, it's it's. I mean, the thing is, the comp- the people aren't going to convert. I suppose in that instance until they know that there's value in your product. So that tells you that there's value. That's right, doesn't it? That's the thing. So you don't have that risk of like, oh, we've made these deals, but can we actually deliver on this? That's you right. You're not going to get any nasty surprises sort of further down the line, I suppose. I want to sort of pivot a little bit then because I, I, I've um, I'd imagine then with this with with PLG, you're probably seeing it's probably responsible for for a great deal of like of SaaS companies, very small ones, where perhaps maybe they 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 literally just have like a minimum viable product at this point. You know, it's just very very kind of basic kind of thing. I was wondering then, what do you see like with, I guess, especially smaller startups, people who are just starting out with it. What's what are the, perhaps some of the the biggest dangers that you see? What are what are some of the mistakes that they make with this kind of approach? Because I imagine there are people who don't have the resources who are just like, okay, I have this product, I'm going to put it out there and hope that it spreads by word of mouth. I don't have sales team, I don't have this, blah 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 blah. I don't have the resources for marketing. Okay, so a like. Is that enough? Can you succeed with that alone? And if not, why not? And what are some of the other errors that you see people make? Mm. So I think one of the misconceptions is that PLG is cheap. Mm-hmm. It's not. Um, right. It's cost effective when it scales, but it's not cheap. Right. <laughs> so it costs a considerable amount of time. Those kind of motions that you were talking about where like I... I I'm actually reaching new customers through the customers that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, this is takes time to build because every single step of the journey, every click needs to be optimized to become like that well-oiled machine that you'll eventually uh, grow with. And on top of that, it will give you a certain percentage of growth on your existing user base, right? Mm-hmm. But if your user base is 10 people or even 100, then that's going to take a long time before you get anywhere. Right. So this is important to keep in mind. It's it's still it's it's very in my view it's very close to a consumer business if you're talking about it in that way unless you're able to sell things at higher ticket value, right? So if you're if you can charge a few hundred a month, then we're talking very differently, right? Like then mm. but that, those are not always the ones that actually allow you to get that kind of outreach, right? So that's uh, so. So keep that in mind. It doesn't. The floodgates don't just open and users come running in from everywhere. Even if this works, it'll take a long time to actually put a flywheel to actually start start turning. Even if you have a product that people are actually going to find value in, it, it's that sort of next step, isn't it? Of can I actually get them to? Can I make it get this to a point where it's profitable? Can I recover the costs of what I've spent on the product and then make a profit? Yes. So well, yeah, the profitability is is another point that that I want to bring up. I, I remember recently there was a conversation that that was about like, well, you shouldn't. I was saying you shouldn't call signups, right? You shouldn't just call all your signups. You should. And this is not my view. This is quite a common view. You shouldn't call signups, but you should call the right ones. It's in line with what we just spoke about with PQLs. And someone was saying, well, you know, we do this all the time and people love it. And, you know, they're very happy and, uh, you know, it works well for us. I was like, okay, let me look at the company, right? <laughs> I'm, I mean, who knows? And there could well be places where this works. It depends also where your audience is coming from and how they find you, right? Yeah. And, in this case, though, I looked at the company. It's like, oh, okay, very small company. Mm-hmm. So of course it works, right? Because 
you'll do anything. You have to do things that don't scale. But if you do this at a bigger scale where you where you have 10 sales reps and you have to pay them instead of the founder doing this, mm-hmm. whole different story, right? And, and yeah. you're losing money while you're doing that, most likely. I'm yeah. saying most likely because it's not a given. And you always have to look at the numbers. But generally, yes, <laughs> that wouldn't be profitable. So I think it's hard. Today's market is hard for any growth model that you'll choose. I, I used to think that building the software was the hard part. And that was, that was the thing to learn when, when I started my first software company. Hmm. But it's not. Anyone <laughs> can build anything. And more and more with, with AI and with no code builders, anyone can build anything. That's my assumption. Like that's anyone with a laptop soon can just build build a competitor if they want to. That's the big factor, so, isn't it? It's no code now. It's like we. So, yeah. So 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 the challenge or the uncertainty to build a business will be growth. Yeah. Can you find an audience? And this brings us back to the noise that I was talking about earlier on in the conversation. Can you cut through the noise and reach the people you need to reach to sell what you want to sell? If you cannot, then you will fail. And so this is the main thing to figure out. When, when I look at new companies and new ideas, my main question is, can I reach this audience at scale? And can I prove that somehow? And if I can't, then it's probably going to be tough. Yeah. And it might not be worth going after that audience at all, right? Like if you have to make these decisions early on, like who is it going to be worth chasing, right? Who's going to be receptive to what you to what your idea is? That's right. Yeah. If you can't reach people, then you can't tell them about the great solution you've developed for them. Right. So then so, this all depends yeah. so much, doesn't it, on what kind of product you're offering as well. I mean, there are there are products out there, SaaS products, which are like I, I guess I'm thinking of the ones that are maybe more like less B2B, more kind of like B2C, where it's kind of just like the general kind of utilities that anyone would want in their lives. I'd imagine, I guess, guess I'm sort of going on to like vertical versus horizontal approaches here, right? Like SaaS companies that go for more kind of niche markets versus like more broadly. I guess that's all about like what that that's just determined by what is the product, right? And what is the utility of the product and the value of it? Yeah. You mean in terms of how it would affect the um, ability to grow? Yeah, yeah. So funny enough, in my view, vertical is actually better Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of reaching the audience because you can be a lot more specific. And I've been in horizontal companies most of my career and I've I've always wanted to go vertical. I even always tried to have vertical offerings, but somehow always like we we ended up not nailing it completely. And and it actually makes your life easier if you're vertical. If you know, hey, I only sell to construction companies because I have a, then great, right? Let's let's see what events they go to, which is very different than hey. how I sell to anybody who sells in B2B or like that. That's a much broader audience with where I can have to tell a much more general story and um yeah. and also the ways to reach people are therefore much more general. And so yeah, I think speak to vertical that, is a small isn't it? Sorry. Sorry, I, I tried to interrupt you. I was just saying it's hard to speak to the pain points of everyone, isn't it? 
it's easier when it you is do. and yes and so if if you're specific in in a certain area and and that's you know what we saw happen first with with the specialization of software where there's now like a there's there's a sales engagement tool there's a sales enablement tool there's a, like a, there's a build analytics tool there's like there and it used to just be crm that you bought that was it right yeah you your crm you had your email account like and, and that's it let's go but now you're buying 15 20 tools including like data providers and so on and and that's all because again SaaS made that possible made it a lot more affordable to um to develop something then more and more people started to buy SaaS, so the, the market grew as a whole. And now it can, you know, look at outreach. You can you can build over a billion dollar business doing one specific thing. And, yeah, and that's um, and it's amazing. It's a great opportunity uh, to the point that we now have multiple players in all categories. And this is why everyone's trying to create new categories, right? Yeah, um, but we're, we'll also reach the limit of that. And this is where the whole software consolidation is coming from. Uh, where buyers are saying, yeah, I just want to buy from, can I just buy everything from one uh, player? And this is kind of also why, why with DealFront, we're, we're, we're being a platform for our customers, why we decided to put the two companies together and say like, it's, it's easier for customers if it's all in one place. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, this is a, this is a thing for a lot of, I mean, if you're B2B, if you're, if you're a company and your tech stack is absolutely heaving with products, uh, it can be a real headache for everyone. Honey, you want to sort of make it as streamlined as possible. I think, you know, if you've got too many things, there's too many different things going on. And if you're the kind of company that can offer a lot of different tools in one, I mean, you know, as long as you can communicate that, I imagine you're onto a winner, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So I always heard that, you know, it's funny you say that the growth is the hardest thing. See, I, my misconception perhaps was that. I actually wrote an article about this on last year was that a lot of people say that the biggest problem, the biggest thing is still that people just don't have a strong enough idea at root, Mm. you know, that's the thing. So it's really interesting to hear your, your perspective, actually, that it's actually, yeah. I wouldn't say that that what that, what you just said is not true. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. I think it's a different stage of error or failure in in that sense. Um, The, if you don't have a clear idea in the first place, then yes, this will this will make life a whole lot easier, even to reach your audience again. And if you don't have a clear view of the problem and and the customer has and how exactly you can solve that for them, then your product probably wouldn't fit well and your messaging will be off as well. But I think it will translate into the same outcome that you will not be able to get in front of customers, right? Because your yeah. message won't be relevant. Um, and and growth in the end, what you need to grow is to get in front of the customer to show them what you've built and how it solves their problem, and then to get them to buy it. Now, like for startups, we're talking about like because what you said that that relates a lot to startups. I would say, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't have a clear idea of what you're building, then then succeeding at those things I just mentioned is has become a lot harder. Yeah, I mean, it seems it seems obvious, doesn't it? But I mean, it, it seems like it would still be a thing that people would maybe. I, I wonder sometimes if people make products for them. You know, they make products that they think, oh, this is a nifty little tool that that you know, and it's cool. It does something cool, but is it yeah. something actually need or actually want? Is the solving your own problem can be a good approach, but but yeah. it's it 
I've also seen it often be too specific. And, and that's why you see some, some of the companies that have succeeded more at that are actually agencies that solve their own problem because they've seen it across multiple companies and they have already the customer base that they can sell it into, right? So that's, that's places where, where there have been more success stories uh, of that. Um, but, but yeah, still, I would say more important than the problem is, is the audience. If you can figure out who you wanna to sell to and you figure out a way to reach them and you start interacting, then yeah. you'll learn what's actually on their mind. And then you can even only then decide what you want to build. But that's also a valid approach to do. So, because I imagine there's a lot of SaaS products out there now, you know, that offer pretty similar solutions, right? And maybe yeah. there's maybe there's a product like yours that does maybe even does some things better. Be truthful, you know, like that kind of thing. Maybe they have more sophisticated technology. I don't know. But then it can be the differentiating factor, isn't it? Is it of whether you're more successful? Is simply do you have a better grasp on the market? And can you can you reach that audience? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think in in today's market, given again all all the noise that we have, the approach that I just mentioned would, if I would start a new company now, I would I would go about it that way. I would first, I would first build the audience, then figure out what the audience needs. <laughs> and there's so many ways, and there's many trends that we actually um, drive towards ways of building your own audience at the moment, right? So there's many ways that people can do that. And with that, actually become active in their market and then start building the right thing instead of, you know, what generally what I see as comfort zone for founders is to develop products. Okay, we didn't sell it. Let's develop more product. Let's add more features. Let's do this. This is comfort zone, right? This, I didn't think of it like that when I started, but in the end, this is where you know exactly what to do. There's nobody that's bothering you. There's no uncertainties or not a lot of them. And you're just building something new again. But this is, at some point, this is not building the business anymore. You need some product to sell, but but then you need to sell it, right? And you need to get in front of customers with the right message and and figure out how to position in their day-to-day. -day and um... So I think it'd be great then um, if we could break down to round this off into actionable terms. Since you've identified that, problem of growing your audience what how do you go about that in actionable terms then i mean i know it's a really complex thing but if you were to lay it out for me in a diagram what would you say well diagram i'm not sure i can give you <laughs> well, <laughs> stages yeah, then bullets <laughs> yeah exactly exactly um so um the first thing is and this is going to seem very obvious but the first thing is to understand your audience but it's also about understanding all the different ways you can identify an audience right it, it's not everybody always clicks the same buttons when they start using a, a sales intelligence solution like like the one we have or or others in in the market it's like okay my company size is uh, 50 to 200 and this is the industry that i'm interested in I will take them in this and that country. That's that's my target audience. Turns out there's a lot of companies that have the same target audience, right? Because there's way more ways that you could define your target audience, like more time sensitive ways, like um, you know, and and of course, you know, there's a reason why we have lead feeder. Like, did they visit your website recently? But there's also other things like intent data. Like, did they look into your category recently? Um, like, were they in the news recently? Um, did they raise funding? Did they hire somebody? Did, 
are they looking for certain people right now that have experience with your solution or with your type? Like there's so many things that you can do. And, and this has been for a long time already, like been advocated in, in um, go-to-market approaches in general. But nonetheless, with all the automation that was around, it was mainly always about just doing more and not doing higher quality. Everything that's happened has been around that. Like just send more emails, make more calls. There were even solutions at some point that allowed you to make multiple calls at the same time. Okay. It's just like, oh man, like that's too much, right? So what about just reaching the right person at the right time with the right message? And you figure that out and, and focus your learning on that. And you'll see conversion rates that are, you know, like way beyond any averages that you see in the market if you do that well. And so the companies that I know that really succeeded in, in scaling like to, you know, up to unicorns, often they, they'd have some, somehow they'd build their own way of gathering data about their audience. So they were scraping websites and finding things that there's no data provider that sold what they were looking for. So they built it because they knew that was the thing that, that uh, drove success for them. So really understanding that, and a lot of data is available, right? I mean, we are in that business ourselves, uh, and there's there's many many ways of, of acquiring data in the market as well. Um, but first and foremost, understanding what it is you need to know, and then you can see if you can buy it somewhere. Whereas most companies tend to just buy what is there and see if they can somehow fit that to their market. If you can figure that part out, then everything else will just start falling into place from there on. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for this, Vincent. Um, it's been a great discussion. I think our audience is definitely going to benefit from this. Thank you for joining us on this episode of SaaScast. Please join us next time for more top insights from the leading minds in SaaS.